Welcome to State of the Art Southern Illinois, a podcast by the Marion Cultural and Civic Center. Today, we have Tony Deo. He will be coming to the Marion Cultural and Civic Center with the Good Humor Men on July 22nd. And we look forward to that night of comedy. Now, enjoy our conversation with Tony Deo. Tony, thanks for joining us today. Welcome to State of the Arts. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. We're so glad to be ha- to have you coming to the Marion Cultural and Civic Center in July, on July 22nd, with the Good Humor Men. Yes. Um, we had Pat just a few weeks ago. Oh, guys. Um, yeah. Pat's great. He's wonderful. And um, he's just so rich with stories. Oh, yeah. What a career he's had. Oh, it's wild. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely wild. And the connections yeah. that he has. Um, have you listened to his podcast much? Uh, yeah, I've, I actually help him edit it every once in a while. <laughs> awesome. I thought yeah. I heard your name actually on this last episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, whenever I whenever I made the connection that he vacationed with Frank Oz, yeah, <laughs> my overall perception of him just completely changed. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh yeah he has so many great stories and every time I'm with him he tells another story that I thought I would have heard already and he has yeah. always another great one. Well, you've got some great stories as well. I mean, you started your career not as a comedian. No, uh, not at all. But still within the arts. And so yes, tell us a little bit about how your passion for the arts started. I, I was a uh, drummer in high school. I, I somehow uh, found myself in the band, uh, as a lot of people do. <laughs> and there was a, a college near me that had an incredible marching band and um, I actually ended up uh, getting accepted to a fairly prestigious college and chose not to go so that I could go be in the marching band at a state school. And my guidance counselor was very unhappy with me for that choice. But it's what I wanted to do. And I went went to the school to be in the marching band, and it was great. And uh, I had actually started as a theater major and realized pretty quickly that uh, that I went there for music and I should maybe pursue the reason that I was at that school. So I switched over, became a music major. Um, I got a degree in music ed. Uh, and then I went out to Las Vegas and got a master's degree in percussion performance. Uh, I thought I would uh, perform it in some way or another, but I studied formal at marimba, which... <laughs> It's an incredibly obscure instrument, and I can count on one or two hands the number of people that make their living <laughs> playing that instrument, and it just wasn't going to be me. Um, but I did have that uh, sort of backup plan of being a teacher, so I moved to Texas, and I taught school there. I taught middle school and high school band, and uh, while I was in Texas, I had been interested in stand-up my whole life uh, from... Early in high school, I used to watch uh, comedians on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. So I'd always loved stand-up. And when I was living in Austin, they were teaching a class at the comedy club on stand-up comedy. And I kind of just decided, this is it. This is my moment. I do it now or I do it never. And I took this class and um, just kind of got hooked and... You know, it's like anything in life where if you do it long enough, someone's eventually going to pay you to do it. <laughs> now, you said that you were a theater major. 
yes. originally. How long yep. were you a theater major? And do you feel like there's anything from that that was actually applicable to your now career in stand-up? Um, I was technically a theater major for a year, but in uh, in my pursuit of it, I was a theater major for maybe a week. <laughs> and then I knew I had to uh, move along. And I, you know what's funny is I, I had done some plays in high school and they were kind of funny plays and I didn't put it together at the time really that I just sort of wanted the funny part of it Uh, but yeah that probably did have a little bit to do with wanting to go into theater and you know finding my way eventually to stand up and so you got into stand-up you took that stand-up class yes um and then from that point, how did you progress into a career in stand-up comedy? Um, so when I was a band director, I actually I started writing marching band shows. Um, I, I started before I became a band director. I kind of did a little bit in college, but sort of the choreography of how marching bands move around on the football field. And when I decided I was going to... Per- pursue stand-up, I kind of did the math in my head and realized I could make a living uh, writing band shows for a few months in the summer, and that would give me the rest of the year to try to be a stand-up comic and not have to worry about the lights getting turned off (laughs) or paying my rent or anything like that. So that's what I did. I kind of retired from teaching and uh, started writing band shows in the summer, and then I was free to pursue stand-up as much as I wanted for about nine months a year. And that's how I kind of transitioned in. And eventually, you know, you just start getting some work from it. And um, a few years later, we decided to make the move to New York City. And that's kind of when things really started to happen a little bit more. So what did what was the what was the big change whenever you got to New York that made the difference for you in comedy? A c- couple of things. Um, it's number one being around like I guess it's kind of the same thing, but the community of comedians here. There's so many comics, and they're all super driven to be very very good at uh, what we do. So instead of living somewhere where you you know, maybe one comedian, if you're lucky, two comedians <laughs> uh, that are kind of trying to do it, but, you know, not really. You move to the city where there's uh, a ton of comedians and everybody is trying to be the best at it. So it pushes you and it inspires you and uh, you make so many connections on the way. And those connections are also what helps fuel your careers you know somebody knows about this thing that's going on and uh you know you can there's that commencement address that steve jobs gave at stanford one time about being able to connect the dots backwards that uh you can only do it backwards you don't see it forward but i can connect the dots backwards of my success in comedy to moving to new york city and uh you know, getting my break on Conan, it all connects backwards to that wasn't going to happen if I didn't live in New York. Did you start doing more regular things at clubs in New York? Yeah, working, yeah, working just, you know, in New York City, there's probably maybe even a hundred stand-up shows going on every single night. 
So you, you can, if you want to, you can be on stage every night and multiple times a night, uh, just getting better at what you do. And that's something that exists nowhere else. And so it, it gives you the opportunity to really hone your craft by yeah. purely with stage time. Exactly. Yep. And hone your set as well, obviously. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so talking about honing your set, how did you get your break on Conan? Conan was your first, right? That w- Yeah, that was the first uh, late night appearance. And I feel like I was kind of at an interesting point in comedy where... There used to be gatekeepers, and you had to uh, have maybe a manager or an agent recommend you. You had to go through some people. And the way I'd, I sent a blind email to the guy, the segment producer for comedians uh, on Conan, I was like, hey, we've never met, but I'd love to do the show. Here's uh, you know, a seven-minute set that I put together. I'd love uh, if you have any notes on it. And... He emailed me back a few days later. He said, these are the jokes I like. Can you go record them all straight in a row? And uh, I ran down to Philly that weekend, ran it twice, uh, bombed the first time, (laughs) did well the second time, Uh, sent him the tape. He said, that's perfect. I'll have you on by September. And it was unbelievable. that, And for something that seemed unfathomable, just maybe a few years before that had suddenly happened and way easier than I thought it should. It's amazing how much can happen for you in the industry whenever you start taking the steps on your own, not sitting back and waiting to get discovered. Right, yes. Being proactive and putting yourself out there, taking the risk of of a big no. Right. And then taking the risk of a big no allows for a big yes. Right. And I do feel like... uh, Often we have, it's either uh, just in our imagination, but the idea of being plucked from obscurity by someone, uh, you're the next one (laughs) and making you famous. And that maybe happens, you know, once in a million times. But for the most part, it's the putting in the effort and taking the at-bats and really swinging for the fences. And so... After Conan, you landed a spot on Craig Ferguson. Yes. How did that go? (laughs) That one, uh, that was interesting too because uh, what had happened two weeks after Conan, uh, my son was born. And so we had a newborn baby and um, I got a phone call on a, maybe a, I believe a Monday and this lady said that she was the segment producer for comedians at the uh, Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson and wanted to know if I wanted to do the show on Wednesday. <laughs> and, uh, I had, you know, I had a five-month-old baby. I was like, can I call you back? <laughs> Which I should have just said yes. <laughs> uh, but she's like, yeah, of course. So I called my wife. I'm like, can you handle life for a couple days <laughs> so I can go to L.A.? And she said, of course. So I uh, I called her back. I said, uh, yeah, I can do this. Actually, the first thing I did was like Googled her name because I didn't believe her. <laughs> uh, because that's not the way it happens. They, nobody calls you up and says, can you be on the show? It's a process like the one before where you have to reach out and you have to try. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I believe had happened was she had just taken over the job of booking comedians. 
and she needed someone quickly. She went and watched some sets from Conan, and she's like, oh, that guy will work. <laughs> and so she called me up. I said, do you need to know the jokes I'm doing? And she goes, ah, we'll figure that out on Wednesday. I'm like, all right, here we go. Um, so on very, very short notice, I went to L.A. and uh, recorded uh, The Late Late Show with Ferguson. And that was uh, that was about as much stress as I've ever had <laughs> in comedy. Uh, so what, was the stress just the show, or was it your lead-up to the show, developing the jokes? How was that? Well, it, it was in getting prepared for it, because I had basically no time. I called uh, Delta, made a flight for the next day. Uh, I called in some favors to friends and got myself on shows that night, because uh, I didn't know what jokes I was going to do. <laughs> Um, so I had a set, I, I went and I did four shows that night and every one of them bombed for whatever reason. <laughs> and I knew it should be working. They're all jokes that I've told, you know, hundreds of times, but for whatever reason, every single show was worse than the one before. And so I left New York having not successively... <laughs> done the set that I was going to do on television and I flew to LA on Tuesday I had my buddy who picked me up we went to a comedy club I talked my way on stage I said I'm taping Ferguson tomorrow can I just run the set once and they said sure uh, you have five minutes uh, I went up and I bombed again and now this is five times I've bombed and I'm out of practice sets I, I don't have any more opportunities so the next morning uh, I was staying at my buddy's apartment. I paced his kitchen for probably three hours going over the jokes in my head and having, I, I credit my music background, but having that music background, I know how long the laughs were supposed to be. So I was able to put this uh, set together and get the timing right, all based on the laughs I'd heard in the past and I knew exactly how long they should be. And so we went to Ferguson. Um, they ran us through the dress rehearsal. Uh, they said, by the way, this uh, guy over here, he's in charge of your time. You have four minutes and 15 seconds. We need you to land five seconds on either side of that. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's a little stricter than they were at Conan. They told me, just tell my jokes, and when I'm done, I'm done. <laughs> um, so... My buddy and I, we went up to my dressing room one more time. We ran through the set. We marked down time codes, basically, at the end of uh, every joke. We figured out, um, because they had a timer you could see on the show. And uh, we figured out, like, if I finish this joke, I look at the timer, I see this number, I know that I'm good. If I see this number, I need to cut this line out of the joke if I see this number I need to cut the joke completely and we just like it was just such a pressure cooker because I couldn't believe I had to do this while I'm on television <laughs> but everything about it had come so quickly and, you know you, you're just in the moment and you're like okay um, you know this is the way it is and we're gonna do it and I I did the set and I ended up dead on four minutes and 15 seconds <laughs> I finished my last joke and it clicked to zero and I don't think I've ever had better timing in my life. <laughs> Nothing like 
rolling out under pressure, having yeah. not tested, not having, not successfully tested anything. Yeah, yeah, That's not wonderful. once. <laughs> they had worked it, you know, many times before, but in the preparation for that show, bombed every time. Now, prior to that, as a drummer, you had decided to audition for a Broadway show at one point, didn't you? I did, yes. Uh, when I was in grad school in Las Vegas, I auditioned for a show called Stomp. That's perfect for a percussionist. That's what I thought. <laughs> I, had, uh, I had been reading Modern Drummer magazine, and there was an ad in it, and it said, uh, call this number for auditions for Stomp, and it was a very percussion-heavy musical, and I, I knew I had that. But I called the number, it said they were looking for drummers uh, with some dance experience or dancers who could drum. And I was like, well, I have no dance experience whatsoever, but I'm a pretty good drummer. I think I can make this work. So I went to LA and um, got to the audition. 700 people are there to audition for this Broadway show. And they had... They had no idea that many people were going to show up. It was just becoming a sort of big success at the time. And so they sent someone from the audition down the line to give us a time slot to come back later in the day so we didn't have to stand on the sidewalk all day. Um, and most importantly, to let us know they didn't expect that many people. They were eliminating the drumming part of the audition and it was just going to be a dance audition now. <laughs> and this is the moment I should have left. <laughs> just said, oh, well, today's not my day. But in my mind, I was like, I, I've committed to this. I drove to Los Angeles from Vegas. I got a hotel. I put all these miles and gas in my car. It's like, I got to <laughs> maybe see this through. Um, and I kind of... Sort of in my head, too. I thought maybe they were bluffing about it just being a dance audition. Like, they just wanted to cut down the line a little bit. And I don't know why I thought that. But it's like, eh, you know, it's a long shot. But anyway, I came back uh, at about 1 o'clock for my audition. And uh, I asked the lady, you know, still hoping that maybe <laughs> she was bluffing. I was like, hey, are we going to do the drumming before or after the audition? And she goes, uh, we're not. This is just a dance audition. We told you that seven hours ago. And then she looks me right in the eyes. She goes, you can dance, right? And I was like, you're not going to believe it when you see it. <laughs> so they uh, they took all of us into this big room. They put a, like 40 of us at one time in this big circle. They taught us this very simple dance step. And I thought I was uh, free and clear. And then they said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go around this uh, room. Each person individually will come out into the middle of the circle and do a dance solo for 30 seconds. <laughs> now, you went, you went seven hours of waiting. Yeah. <laughs> on the hope that they were bluffing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a long time to sit around and cross your fingers. At, at any, how did you set yourself up mentally... In those seven hours? Um, I don't remember. I do remember being bummed that I wasn't going to be able to drum, probably. <laughs> that it was going to be a real hard to impress them <laughs> with a skill that I have uh, none of. 
Um, but yeah, so they uh, they put us in a big circle. They people start going out into the circle for their dance solo, and that's when I realized everyone in that room was a professional dancer. <laughs> they were they were all unbelievable. <laughs> it's like oh. That's what dancing looks like. All right. <laughs> and that's when the like the flop sweat just starts uh, like you know you are about to humiliate yourself. And the crazy thing is I could have walked out. There were <laughs> doors right behind I could have just walked away from it. And said, you and know, at what? how many points could you have walked away from this and oh, just so many <laughs> dedicated yourself to persevering and and, and yeah. nailing down this dance audition. Yeah. I could have walked away at so many different opportunities. And somehow I was still there. And you just see each person going out and doing their solo. And you see it getting closer and closer to your turn. And then finally it's my turn. I have to go out in front of all these professional dancers and do something for uh, 30 seconds. Uh so I went out there and I did some version of dancing slash drumming on my own body. It was real <laughs> weird and awkward and as bad as you can imagine. Probably worse than you can imagine. <laughs> it's the drumming on your own body part of it that makes it so magical. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because there were no microphones or pads to make good sounds. It was just uh, horrendous from front to back. And... As you can imagine, I did not get call back for that show. <laughs> That's such a shame. Yeah, it is, really. I think it would have been a perfect addition. <laughs> oh. So at what point in your career did you cross paths with Pat Hazel and eventually become part of uh, the good humor men that's coming to Marion? He... Uh... He called me, I guess, maybe three or four years ago, and a couple of my friends were doing the Good Humor Men with him, and there was maybe a date or two that they couldn't do, and they had recommended me, and I was, uh, when they told me about it, it sounded like it was uh, very much in my wheelhouse, and I looked up Pat's name, I was like, oh my gosh, this guy... <laughs> What a, he sort of he had the career I wished I had had, uh, which <laughs> he got to be on Johnny Carson, and he was a writer mm -hmm. on Seinfeld. I'm like, those are all the things that inspired me to be in this life, and he got to do all of them. Uh, so I was really excited about it, and uh, we've had a blast doing these shows all over the country. Um, and what should people expect out of the Good Humor Man? What out of um, what is that show as a whole? Um. Well, I, I wish I could just say we're funny and that would be enough. <laughs> People would come out, but uh, I don't know if that uh, if that uh, always works. We're um, we're very we're all clean comedians, so um, you can expect to not be offended by anything we say. We uh, avoid politics, so we don't <laughs> upset anybody, which is I've I've made that. Uh, um, choice since I became a comedian. It's just been something I've steered very clear of because, you know, when you're a young comic, 
I needed everyone laughing with me. I had, at no point did I ever feel like I could lose half the audience at any given time. So I've steered so clear of politics my whole life. I've never even thought about writing a joke about it. But yeah, we're uh, we're all very funny. We're very clean. Uh, it's a fun show. Um, a, another buddy of mine, Keith Alberstadt, will be on the show, and he's fantastic. I've uh, he was one of the guys when I moved to New York City, I was very excited to meet him because I knew he was so good and he always made me laugh and I'd heard him before that. And I ended and up how being did your na- paths cross? Uh we were neighbors, <laughs> actually. He was uh he was a roommate of a very good friend of mine, uh who's another one of the good humor men, uh just not on this tour. <laughs> but yeah, we lived right around the corner from each other and we uh, spent several years together uh within one block of each other in New York City. That's incredible. Yeah. And especially coming to New York City and saying, hey, this is somebody I'd like to meet, and then living that close to them. And I'm sure you ended up performing in clubs together, being that close to each other geographically. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We've And we've had fun. We've traveled around the country together. And yeah, it's always been so much fun. Now, as far as clubs in New York, coming up, what was your favorite club to, to try out new material in? I... I have a thing that I like to do, and it came out of uh, when you're a young comedian or a young headliner, one of the things that can throw you off in a comedy club is the check spot or the check drop, which is you're in the middle of your act, and all of a sudden every single table gets a a check, (laughs) their bill laid down on the table. And you can just see it. You can see it happening. You almost feel it happening. Like just people's attention just starts going away from you. And then they were like, oh, yeah, uh, you bought this and he bought that. And uh, you owe me <laughs> this many dollars. And Anyway, it happens at every comedy club around the country. And it's difficult to deal with. And I had an idea one time. Uh, I was like, why don't I just try out new jokes during the check drop? Some people will be paying attention. Others won't. It doesn't matter. I'll tell them their new jokes. And then whoever wants to listen or can listen can. And I get to practice saying them without any pressure. And it became my favorite thing to do. <laughs> and even when I started working at theaters, which I won't do it. Uh, we do slightly shorter sets since there's uh, three headliners on this show. So I won't do it uh at the one we're talking about, but I do it every show now. I just tell everyone, hey, I'm going to try out some new jokes, and the audience uh, loves it. They f- feel like they're a part of helping you figure out what's funny and what's not funny, and if the jokes go well, it's fantastic, and if they bomb, they think it's just as funny. <laughs> now, I mean, in, they let you know that it in, didn't in work. In the clubs, yeah. it, I assume that the check drop spot is an easier spot to get on the lineup that night. Well, okay, so there's uh, there's two different things. Uh, in New York City, you'll have seven comedians on a show, and there's a okay. specific spot called the check spot. And it's the worst of all, because they hand out checks, you go up and tell jokes to people that aren't paying attention, and then when all the bills are paid, you leave. <laughs> so your entire set, nobody's paying attention. In a club, when you're headlining out on the road, when you're doing 45 minutes or an hour or whatever long set you're doing, that happens during the headliner. There's okay. no special person to come up and take that hit. Uh, in New York, there is. Out on the road, it's on you. 
So if you, if you're dropping into a club to try some new material in New York, do you specifically try for the check spot? No, that's generally given to a younger comedian, mm-hmm. uh, someone who's trying to get into the club, uh, who wants to do regular spots at the club because it's it's no fun. Uh, there, it's just a, almost a time killer. Like sometimes you'll get some laughs. Some people are good at it. Uh, I, you have to be pretty high energy to just uh, barrel through <laughs> the check spot, and I am not high energy enough <laughs> to do that. So, I've done it a few times uh, many years ago. I wasn't good at it, and I think people uh, mercifully <laughs> let me stop doing them. <laughs> So you won't have a check spot to, to work through here, but we really look no. forward to having you. Oh, I'm so um, excited. We look forward to hearing many stories. Um, yes. I assume, I assume <laughs> you know, life with your family and your son is is a source of some of your material at this point. Yes, it is. And everyone tells you, as soon as a comedian has a kid, they're like, oh, it's going to be so much new material. And they're like, stop it. I don't have trouble with material. Uh, and then they end up, uh, yes, being a great source of material. Well, we look forward to it. Again, that'll be on July 22nd here at the Marion Cultural and Civic Center. Tickets are still available at marioncc.com. Tony, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Hey, thank been, you for having me. It's been so great to hear about your background, about your music background. Yeah. Um, and and really, even hearing about that little bit about the, the audition for Stomp is a little <laughs> bit of introspective into the arts world that, that is very welcome. So thank you so much for that. Hey, thank you for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you for tuning in for Steady the Arts Southern Illinois, a podcast by the Marion Cultural and Civic Center, focusing on musicians, artists, artisans, arts organizations, and arts events here in Southern Illinois, as well as national touring artists coming to the Marion Cultural and Civic Center. Special thanks to A.J. Rice, our associate producer. Thanks to Tony Deo for his time today. And thank you to Jeremy Todd for the soundtrack to today's episode. And now, in its entirety, The Ballad of J. Mack Honk by Jeremy Todd.